Hello and welcome to another episode of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Alex. I'm joined as always by Martin. Hello, Martin. Hello, Alex. Glad to see you. Um, yeah, so this week we have, uh, for the news section, we've got uh, an article you found on spectrum.ieee, uh, which is really about the argument of what is and isn't artificial intelligence. Uh, and that's from Michael I. Jordan, machine learning pioneer, uh, which is going to lead on to a bit of our tech spot, which is looking at what actually is artificial intelligence now and in the future. Uh, and we're also joined by uh, Vanessa Garcia of Ignition Automation. No, inductive, inductive Automation. <laughs> she works on the Ignition software, yeah, I remember yeah. now. There you go. You did make that mistake during the interview, but we'll give you... I did. We'll cleverly edit around it. It'll be seamless. Um, it shows we're fallible. That's what it is, Alex, isn't it? We're human. We're not artificial intelligences no, yet. Exactly. For this interview portion of the Atlas podcast, we're joined by Vanessa Garcia, who is the Global Senior Account Executive for Ignition Software. Thank you for joining us, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so uh, you've been with Ignition for quite a while. How did you find yourself there? How has the, the work history been? <laughs> yeah, I've actually been here for going on 13 years now. Um, I was the second um, salesperson at Inductive Automation ever. So, wow. yeah, yeah, I started off with the company being quite small um, to, you know, what it is today. So I've definitely been along for the ride and have, have enjoyed it. Um, how I got to this point, well, that's a long story. I'll make it short. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a little while, so maybe you can um, tell, yeah. We're always right. interested in how people get into this world because it's a bit, it's a bit strange. Some of the, you know, I'm, I'm, in my world anyway a lot of people say so what do you do and you kind of explain and they're they're not always mm -hmm. sure what we do is is in um mm -hmm. the world of automation and things like this it's not common for people so yeah always interested how people get into automation really yeah okay well this started quite a while ago um i actually went to school originally for aerospace engineering that was my major um, and then, I, and then it was mechanical engineering because I was scared I wouldn't get a job <laughs> in aerospace back then. Th things were happening with the, with our defense um, back at that time when I was in college. So I went into mechanical engineering. I said, okay, what's closest to aerospace, um, <laughs> but not aerospace? So he said mechanical. Not too much of a leap. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I was in mechanical engineering, and I'm like, okay, I'm. I don't think I'm cut out for this. I needed something a little bit more social. <laughs> so I said, what's what's close to mechanical, but a little bit more social? So it was industrial and systems engineering. So that's, that ended up being my degree. And as, um, I, you know, as I was in school, I, I, I definitely had co-op programs. I worked for Boeing and I worked for a, a company called Quantum, which is now Seagate, which I think I got bought out by something else. And that's really when I started getting um, interested in, in automation and, and uh, manufacturing. 
So uh, out of school, I really thought I would go right into manufacturing. So I was, you know, really planning on going um, straight into a company that makes something. Mm. And then <laughs> the people that know me at, um, at USC, which is the college that I went to in the career department, said, hey, there's this company. Um, and it was Rock Automation. <laughs> They said, hey, there's this company that I think you'd be great for. I said, oh, great. Like, what What? Am, what am I going to be making? And they said, no, it's it's sales engineering. And I'm like, no. <laughs> 100% no. sell things. <laughs> no way. I don't want to sell things. Um, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to uh, learn about different manufacturing spaces, different industries, gather that knowledge of all different industries, and then be a manufacturing engineer. So um, that's actually what I ended up doing. I worked for Rock, Rock Automation for a few years, and then I was a manufacturing engineer. That's really, yeah, as, I mean, that, that's, yeah. like, that's why we like to get to know the people, because we've never known that really, that kind of your, your background, very mechanical based or um, originally where you were thinking. And now you, you it's yeah. amazing how people's journeys through their working careers change, isn't it? Uh, and yeah, never I really never, thought. never thought I would end up here. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. So when anybody sees you today, they don't know about that wealth of knowledge that you've got that's kind of, uh, or, or uh, past passions that are hidden in your mechanical. Did you actually ever do any mechanical engineering, like turning and milling and things like this? Or did you choose? Uh, I was a I was a manufacturing engineer. Right. So, it, um, you know, um, writing up procedures for, for building, yeah. it was... Um, testing equipment for a company called Teradyne. Um, so that's where I worked for a few years. Um, so I worked with the mechanical engineers, yeah. but it was, yeah, I was more focused on manufacturing, so which I love. More, you would be more into the PLM space then maybe, and uh, if that was a natural yeah. progression from your manufacturing engineering, but you mm -hmm. ended up at inductive automation. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So what happened was I was kind of getting bored of manufacturing engineers. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, this is great. I, you know, this is what I love to do. I, lo I love to build things and, and learn how to, you know, try and make it faster and um, build it better. But after a while, I said, I miss the social aspect. And so this job came about. And here I am today, 13 years later. So. And you, uh, you said you started when it was a very small company. How have you, how have you mm -hmm. seen the the yeah the goals and the aims change over that period? Oh my gosh! So when I started, it wasn't it wasn't Ignition. It was our legacy software. Mm. So right. we had um, factory SQL and factory PMI. No one had heard of us, so I definitely had to put my cold calling skills, um, you know, bump that up quite a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was really frustrating. I remember having lots of conversations with Steve Hackman, our owner, because um, he came from, you know, the integrator world. And I said, gosh, these people aren't getting it. They're not getting it. And I don't know what I'm saying. That's wrong. I don't know what's going on. Because basically, I was getting 
um, feedback of, oh, yeah, we haven't haven't heard of you guys. We're going to stick with what we know. And I said, well, that's fine. But what if there's something that you're missing out on and you have no idea right now? Right. And so I um, through the years, it's it's been great because those same companies, because I I wouldn't say I kept a list, but we, we do have um, a CRM system where I noted, you know, they're not interested. They don't understand. <laughs> and these <laughs> made a mental these same, note at least. Yes. These same companies have, have come back and how do I get on the integrator program? Not only in the integrator program, but how do I get to premier status? And I'm like, well, you just called me. It's going to take a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. I, I, rem I remember when we, we first met Vanessa, I don't know if it was, it was about 10 years ago, probably nine, 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. you just moved into a new building. Um, mm -hmm. Relatively new, I think it was with it, and you you got this um, old sofa that was one of the original sofas. I think when the business was two or three people or something like that. Is that sofa <laughs> still around? Is it has it survived today? Oh yeah, we're very nostalgic here. I'm sure it's. I'm sure somebody has it. <laughs> yeah, the um, that very first building was actually kind of fun. I kind of miss it. Hmm. It was. Um, I remember my my office would I don't know what was up with the thermostat, but it would either be super cold or super hot. Um, there was a basement. <laughs> there was that sofa. And I remember just sitting on it and talking to um, the you know original developers, which are still here, Carl and Colby, just about mm. life and stuff. So. Yeah, I'm sure it. I'm sure it's still at the office. Somewhere. Yeah, I wondered. There's funny things what stick in your mind, isn't it? <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, so when you were when you were calling those people initially, and they they weren't picking up what you were putting down, was it <laughs> just that the company was new, or was it the whole idea of uh, automation was just not being picked up yet? Um, okay, well, at the time, there were a lot of businesses moving overseas. So this was, um, gosh, what year was this? 2008, 2009. So uh, there, I guess, you know, the bubble had bursted back then and companies were, were moving out of the country. And it was, and I was calling mainly US. I was calling overseas as well. Overseas, it was, uh, we use Siemens. No, thanks. Every time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but over here, it was, oh, we don't have enough work. You know, we're, we, we're, we might go out of business. We, you know, mm. we don't know what to do with this. And then it was, um, yeah, never heard of you guys. Who else uses you? That sort of stuff. And I, I remember at the time, I think one of the big selling uh, or businesses that was being promoted was the um, was the the brewery. Um, who, oh, Sierra who, Nevada. Yes, in Sierra Nevada. Yeah. I came across it the other day after we were planning the interview. I was walking through a supermarket and I saw the Sierra Nevada. I thought, I've got to buy it. <laughs> and oh, that man. was purely through that kind of connection. They're thinking, yeah, that just reminded me of... Um, you know, California, the implementations and and the concepts really. I mean, wider than that, the concepts that you were trying to build into this new product, trying to 
reinvent what SCADA systems as they were then were um, on okay. modern platforms and things like this was, I think, something that the industry really did need at the time. Yeah, and and that was that is exactly what was frustrating for me because I I know what else is out there. Yeah. I know it. I know what these people are using back then, and and how much better it could be, and you know, less expensive for the customers, which means you know, more for the integrator to, you know, they, they buy the software once and then the integrators got years of work mm. on that one software license. I, um, I just, I'm so happy to be here for this long, just because I, I feel like I finally found a company that I could, you know, get behind and really believe in. I'm sometimes a little bit of a hippie when it comes to things like that i want to feel good about what i'm doing you know what i mean so yeah absolutely yeah so well, well, it's, yeah. Gone, it's gone from strength to strength though hasn't it since those like i said in the last decade it's really has accelerated mm -hmm. and and um and has really taken off uh and challenging oh, yeah. the the market where where maybe before you were getting the no we use this or that or the other now the doors are open, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we, um, I haven't done a cold call in years, so that's good. <laughs> that's a big change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're um, definitely getting a lot of incoming opportunities. Fantastic. So, what were those sort of core ideas from, I mean, about being transformative, changing from what was there uh, to what you could provide? What was the initial driver? Uh, what do you mean by that? Oh, sorry. I mean, in terms of you know how how inductive automation did things differently. What was mm -hmm. the what was their unique selling point? To use it? Yes. Oh <laughs> yeah. You. Okay. Well, so this is a funny story. So I interviewed several times um, for the. I went through um, I don't know how many interviews for inductive automation. And the very first interview, um, I had already been online and, and looked at, you know, what they did. And they showed me some of their marketing materials, which I think Travis Cox, <laughs> who's still here, had made those marketing materials. Um, and I was like, this, this is too cheap. Like, you can't sell it for this much. It's unlimited. That doesn't make any sense. Nobody's going to take us seriously. And Steve was like, nope, that's what we're doing. It's unlimited tags, unlimited clients. And I was like, wow, that is, that's pretty earth shattering coming mm. from where I came from, right? Um, so that, that is huge. And then I would get a lot of feedback from integrators. Well, how are you guys going to make any money? It's unlimited, you know? And I said, there's a way, there's a way. Um, but yeah, that that was the very the very first thing that struck me was our licensing model having a perpetual license that was completely unlimited. It's unheard of, right? Yeah. Um, the other Especially the other the thing, yeah. right? Right. The other thing is really just the passion of the people at Inductive Automation. They've been extremely selective with hiring. Um, so it's not just can you do the job, but it's like can you get behind this idea. And I love that about inductive automation because we're all really of the same mindset here, um, which really keeps us going. We're, um, I guess there is a little bit of a hippie in all of us. We're out to change the world, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. 
And so I really love that, that vibe, you know, from inductive automation. And I think people can feel that when they're, when they're here at the conference. Yeah. Um, another thing is, in, it does help us in California. Don't it? Right, right. That doesn't ex <laughs> exactly repel people. <laughs> um, the other thing is just um, our willingness to listen to, you know, integrators and end users. We're really, we're not driven by what the other guys are doing. We're driven by what our customers want mm. and like what their needs are. And I've, I've never seen that. I mean, if you go to ideas.inductiveautomation.com, you see just, you know, real life users saying, oh, we'd like you to put this in your product. And then we have other people chiming in and that feedback goes directly to our developers. I mean, I, I haven't seen that anywhere. So those are there's the biggest striving points. There's a lot of modern principles, if you like, in that, isn't there? There's the UX element there, but understanding the customer, um, mm -hmm. different business models to, to try and disrupt the market. And also, I think one of the things that we, we found was just having easy access to the platform as well. The fact that you got that online demos, you could download the platform and play with it, that, that freemium type of approach yeah. was also something quite uh, unique because yeah, many systems at the time would take a bit of installation, but even before you could get up and running <laughs> with them. Um, so there are quite a few things there. So what, what's what's the future now? I mean, you're definitely embedded in the market and uh, you're, mm -hmm. you're growing. Uh, so what, what do you see the future for inductive automation? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's still room to grow, believe it or not. We've got a lot going on and just a lot more companies becoming what we call enterprise users where um, they're, they're standardizing on Ignition and they've got multiple sites. And so ATS has been, a they've played a huge role in that, in that, you know, we've got now our enterprise integrators who can handle those large rollouts. So it's, it's, it's more about just spreading ignition, you know, is um, to the ends of the earth, really, we're just going to keep <laughs> on going. Um, as, as you know, as far as the platform, um, we're just going to keep on growing as, you know, our, our end users come up with new ideas, we come up with new ideas, technology moves along. Um, I love that the platform is is kind of like future proofed because what we did is we focused on that ignition platform and we made it modular, right? So it's kind of like, you know, your phone is a platform, but you can install different apps forever, right? There's always going to be a new app that you can install mm. with ignition because it's modular and you can pick and choose which modules you need. We're just going to keep adding more modules as technology grows and is needed. And so people don't have to, um, you know, um, they, they can just add on to what they're doing within the same platform without having to install something new and like mush it together. So like perspective, for example, that's, that's the newest module. And that's a perfect example of, you know, technology moving on, people want to be more, more mobile. Um, they like that, you know, the apps, they like the ability to, you know, run on you know smart tvs and stuff like that so we're, we're our platform has made it so that we're, we're pretty agile there exciting stuff um okay well i mean it's it's been fascinating having you on vanessa um and hopefully we can get you back for a further chat 
at some other point and go into some of these things in depth. Um, but yeah, looking forward to speaking to you again. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Uh, so yeah, this piece um, is yeah. I guess it's a it's more of a stop calling things artificial intelligence when they're not. And I guess it's uh, we've talked about it before. The language around these things can be a little obfuscating because what one person thinks of as artificial intelligence might actually come under something more commonly known as machine learning. Yeah, and there's a yeah, as we said, there's a different different types of artificial intelligence, and you know we start to get really quite deep into discussions, if you like, about what is AI, um, and um, uh, you know from a from a practical point of view, most of the AI that people have been exposed to today has been very much around the sales and marketing and social media and things like that, I and mean, often people refer to you know you go to this website or put this this by these products and people uh, or the AI suddenly starts offering you um, multivitamins or something like that because it thinks you're, thinks you're deficient in some way or, or mm. having a marriage breakup or whatever it is. Um, the famous one is a kind of, it knows you're pregnant before you're pregnant or whatever. So yeah, it, it's back to really what we mean by artificial intelligence and um, I think the challenge here is that we we we're just banding around the phrase very liberally at the moment, um, and uh, and it's turned into that label, as we said, a bit like with cloud and things like that. There's far more complexity into these things that we have to consider, yeah. Um, and especially when you're doing the more the scientific aspects of it, I think it's it's absolutely right that as we start specialising in these things. Um, we, be, we become more precise with the language we use. So we're always going to have that level of colloquialism that people are going to use um, or generalisms around AI. Um, but actually, you know, the real deep meaning of what AI is um, and the maturity levels of AI, I think, are, are one aspect. And the other aspect that was, I find interesting is the um, social impact of it as well. Mm. Because um, that's probably a bigger thing at the moment, isn't it? The social impact of AI. Um, when we think about, like I said, the, the rise of social media, um, the impact it's had on the political world. Um, yeah. You know, it's a great propaganda machine, but is a propaganda machine really um, a, scient a scientific <laughs> super intelligence <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or not? So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the essence of this article is really, I mean, it's not a long article. I'm sure there's more more to it, but it's really getting down to the essence that um, in, in fields of engineering or mathematicians have a different view on what it really means compared mm. to how it's banded around. So maybe we shouldn't be so liberal with the phrase um, artificial intelligence, I think. Yeah, I guess uh, one of the things I've noticed is, is it, a lot to do with um, the goal of the technology you're creating, because I think artificial intelligence in its purest form um, differs from machine learning because it has, it, uh, there's 
an idea of moving towards sentience rather than just machine learning is there to achieve a goal. Like you said, mentioned earlier, these sales softwares and advertising softwares, like you say, if you Google something, then on your Instagram, you get a perfect advertisement for the thing that you were Googling earlier. That's not really mimicking intelligence. That's just taking an input and producing an output and learning about you. So that's the machine learning side. Whereas I think is is true artificial intelligence more of a philosophical? Um, it's to a level, exactly. Yeah, to a level it is more about that. And some then we start to get around to, to the, you know, sentient beings and um, ethics around those sentient beings. But we can soon go there in our heads. But the reality is we're way off of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, so in the textbook, we'll talk a little bit about those kind of seven stages of artificial intelligence and where we are in reality. Um, but it, like I said, it's more about that, yeah, also that practical use of it. Um, Hannah Fry released a book uh, in 2018, which was kind of trying to address some of these practical uses of AI and what it actually really means in in the real world and that was looking at all kinds of things from um, driverless cars the use of uh, facial recognition for from the police force um, or even using it to try and prove if someone is is guilty or should be on uh, on remand or not etc etc can you use it to look at facial expressions to or, or look back at their history to see if you can see patterns that those individuals can will reoffend or whatever it is um mm. but yeah the, the, there's lots of problems with that and it's all to do with slightly about cardinality and what i mean by that is one to many relationships depends on which end of that that lens you're looking really um uh, and therefore the error bars are far wider depending on which way you look at it um but the way what what hannah fry argues for is that and i, I tend to agree is that AI, especially if we, not to use the phrase, but um, especially if we look at it in the level of maturity as today, is very much just a tool to assist humans. Mm. And wherever we've used it in a position to try and replace humans, um, especially when we start to talk about real-world scenarios that have risk associated to them, unlike selling you stuff, um, if you're talking about yeah judges and doctors um, and pilots and things like this, then we're we're into a different world of um, ethics about it, and therefore also um, yeah the tendency tendency for us to overtrust it without understanding it, I think, is a problem, and the inherent biases that are built into the AI, because in the end, as and many people have pointed out that. AI or the the training set that you train the AI against has human biases built into it. Mm. Um, and that's been a big problem as well because a lot of the people programming and training AIs are generally white males. Yeah. Um, and therefore, it's, it's not, never any surprise that they're biased in that way. So, yes, yeah, there are some fundamental issues around all of that. Um, but the reality is it's it's here to stay. And the reason why it's here to stay is because we're still very immature in our mm. understanding of AI. Um, and a lot of the AI we have today is very uh, specific. Um, 
and not generalized. Uh, and therefore, there's a long way for us to go before machines are taking over or we even get to the level of sentient, sentient um, autonomous things. Um, for sure. I think just taking a step back there as well, the, the biases that can creep their way into these things, we actually spoke a few weeks ago with Yannicka Nielsen, um, who brought up uh, there's been a yeah a big issue in the Dutch government. They introduced a, an algorithm, I believe it was for um, something to do with uh, social welfare, and instantly had to take it down because there was built into that algorithm inherently negative biases. So yeah, if you don't have, and I, I think we've discussed it last couple of weeks as well, we're just not there to the point where you can't have a human making a value judgment on top of it to make sure um, things are legitimate and fair. And when you start to get in that area, we're not talking about, we're talking about almost um, the fact that we're not logical. We assume that AI is logical um, and therefore humans are logical. We're, we're far from logical. Um, even though we like to think we are. We make decisions all the time based on, um, yeah, intuition or um, uh, yeah, bias or pressure or, you know. Or mood. Yeah, or mood, you know. So there's a whole load of things that go into our decision processes and, and maybe some of them are right or maybe some of them are wrong. But that's how society works. So probably we'll get into a position if we start to talk about those types. The AI will be so obvious because it's right all the time. <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> um, and that's the Isn't Turing, that's the Turing test. You know, the Turing test, which is one of those things that Alan Turing came up with, um, and we've discussed a bit about Alan Turing. It was basically if you, you know, if you had this. Uh, black box and you were feeding it messages and the replies were coming back out of this black box would you know if it was a computer processing it or a human processing it um, mm. and that's the turing test that if you get to a point you're thinking it's human um, then you pass the human the turing test well that's what it means a lot of the ai now is actually building in error into those so it looks more human um, yeah. and goes goes with the kind of voice recognition stuff that when we phone up and uh, things like that they're putting in those delays those ums those uh those uhs that we those, yeah <laughs> those auditory ticks that we expect yeah. Yeah. yeah because god it is bizarre isn't it we just can't handle anything it's the uncanny valley effect yes. again we just can't handle anything that's too close to perfect we can yeah. do perfect or completely fake but anywhere in between something throws us throws us off so yeah, the point around the article coming back to it is that should we should we be calling things AI or not AI? Um, the reality is, when if, if you took the true sense of what AI is, um, even the biggest and most famous, if you like AI with AlphaGo and AlphaFold and all these type of things, are still at just like stage three out of the seven stages mm. of um, of super intelligence or artificial intelligence. So. Okay, it, it could be considered to be AI, but actually we're still in the infancy of these things, and therefore maybe it's too early to actually call it AI because it doesn't really pass um, the definition of artificial intelligence. 
Well, I think that leads us nicely into our tech spot, which is, yeah, it's looking at the types of AI and then also um, what's known as the seven stages of artificial intelligence. I know it's not a universally accepted model, but I think it's a really good basis for where are we and where could we potentially get in the future. So, yeah, if you want to jump into what are the different types of AI first, and then we can see where we are on that table. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting from our point of view because we're working on projects where we're looking at using AI modeling, for want of a better word, to be able to look at getting down to zero defects and welding processes and things like this. So once again, very specific around what we're doing. But as the article referred to, you know, AI is in many forms. Mm. Um, <laughs> and uh, everything from um, neural networks, and we, we covered some of those because there are different types of neural networking approaches. Um, we, we were talking to... Uh, um, Stephen about the Ferber, yeah yeah about the the actual simulation of the neural networks inside um, chips and computers but there's also software examples of where they're trying to model the neural networking um, of it so yeah neural networks is one of those branches or one of those divisions that is considered to be a part of artificial intelligence if we use that as a general catch-all term i think machine learning is considered to be a branch of um, artificial intelligence and that's really where we're where we're trying to use um, machines and programming of machines to learn things and then to mm. come up with suggestions and these types of things so um, you can have things like supervised learning um, which is very much when we talked about feeding of the training data to the algorithms. Uh, and a lot of that sometimes used with image recognition. Um, we've done that where you try and feed in good parts of maybe a car or something like that and then feed the um, algorithm with bad information, register as bad information. And therefore, over time, the system will learn um, what's good and what's bad. And that's similar to what we do with the facial recognitions on your photo software. Um, mm. You've got, you got unsupervised learning, which is um, uh, obviously slightly more complicated uh, thing because it's trying to derive meaning from um, a set of data um, and looking at that kind of obtaining that, that, that kind of clustering of hidden information from that from that data set and then you've got uh, reinforced learning um which is um you know, a multi-step process um where you keep improving in the same kind of way um, and, and designing that algorithm based on those um, positive and negative outcomes so that's where yeah. you might have started off giving it supervised learning but then then you're also reinforcing that learning continuously as a part of that um, and that's probably the most common aspect that we come across today, and that's why you often get AI and ML mixed up because that's the thing that we come across the most. Mm. Um, but we get um, we get also into the area of uh, robotics, um, and hopefully we're going to have some talk about robotics coming up. But we, you, you, you do see these um, robots often on the uh, social media. Um, 
where they're from was it boston um, oh boston dynamics yes boston dynamics that kind of thing where you're seeing all kinds of um almost like sentient beings or dogs or whatever it is as robots um, they're incredible yeah so once again that's giving a physical form agency mm. and that's why it always looks so real to us because our brains are programmed to look for agency in a thing if mm. it was a nano object we wouldn't think it to be real um, but in the same way as we can look at a cartoon uh, and to get emotion attached to it, now we're starting to see with these kind of Boston Dynamic robots, are they threatening, are they amusing us or whatever it is? And you get that kind of level of agency around it, which is quite, um, uh, if you like, can be unsettling. But uh, You know, I'm, I might have to fact check myself on this, but I'm about 50% sure one of their models is actually called Atlas. <laughs> so it might be worth maybe there's a, a synergy there that we can talk to them about yeah yeah um, another one which is an expert system um which has been around for a while that kind of concept of having something uh that is 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 a system dedicated to doing something so an expert system refers to a computer system that mimics the decisions um, making by a human expert in that particular area. Um, and once again, when we talk about the gen generic and specific aspect to it, um, and, and you get things like um, random forest, or if you like, approaches that allow you to look at different pathways through um, and look at the probability of that, that system coming up with the right answer and in in that kind of thing. So not one that's commonly thought about, um, but it's it, it's kind of ex often, if we were to, it's expressed as this if-then rules, if something this happens, then do that um, type of approach. Uh, but um, the, the key features of it really are, uh, they're extremely responsive, reliable, um, and, and um, understandable and highly executable if you like so very mm -hmm. dedicated to what they do and they're the types of systems that you can kind of see they they repeat themselves time and time again and they take take the effort out of the human decision making process but ultimately the result of it would be a human decision in my mind mm. um another one which has been around for a little while is back again to fuzzy logic so Fuzzy logic, in a way, is is a bit like um, how the world really works. You know, at atomic level, um, uh, it, that there is a certain amount of um, randomness around, isn't there? So there's never really a, a a one or a zero. There is a probability of there being a one or a zero, um, mm. and it's how probable that is, and what degree, based on the hypothesis, um, should that be correct or not. Uh, and therefore, the fuzzy logic approach is trying to take that kind of uh, an element of random, but in a controlled way within within that world, really. Um, and I don't know if you've seen, but there has been even like um, fuzzy logic washing machines and things like this, which uh, I'm not quite sure. How. I haven't got one yet, but <laughs> I, will, uh, I will be checking it out for sure. No, I see yeah, fuzzy logic has been, or the phrase has been branded around, but once again, it's not a popular thing to talk about at the moment. Mm. Um, and then you've got one, I think, which is 
is talked about a fair bit, which is the natural language processing um, or NLP. Um, so this is a part of that computer science that, that um, can help in communication between um, computers and humans. So a bit like when you were speech recognition, uh, mimicking speech, we talked about it a bit earlier with the, the phone, you know, phone bots and things like this. You're into your kind of slightly into your bot world when mm. we start to talk about that na natural language processing, how do you interpret things and all that type of thing. So it's it, there are some interesting cases I've read about this where people have taken um, recordings of their... Um, you know, people might have passed away or, you know, and they've got some phone messages of them and they fed them into these kind of natural language processing and they can then have a conversation with them. Yeah. I know there's also, there's also a service that takes all of your social media posts and learns your style and your diction. And then, yeah, upon your death, it, you can uh, loved ones can set a period of time where it continues to post to social media thoughts and feelings and all the rest of it. So yeah, we are we are developing bots, machines that can recognise not just correct language, but like you said, sort of idiosyncratic language as well. Mm. So they can say something that's maybe not perfectly correct, but sounds like Martin Kalman or mm. Alex Matheson or yeah. whoever. Yeah, and that starts to bring up that that future. We already see it with with movies, doesn't it? When people um, have died, but then they're in the next the next movie. You know, it's that. Um, yeah, we had Carrie right. Fisher coming back and mm -hmm. Grand Moff Tarkin. So we're going to quickly rattle through what we well we've focused a bit on that area, but this is the seven stages of maturity that we talked about. And to give you some level, um, like I said, the the Alpha Go. Uh, which is, you know, famously describing how it can beat the um, chess champions and the Go champions of the world and all of these types of things. I mean, yeah. there are some interesting cases about actually how it won. Um, and it wasn't necessarily about uh, it was better than the human. It's about how it almost... Um, not out well, it was, the human, but it freaked the human out to think it was, the computer was it thinking. It was creative thinking, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it did. It was something about a move in the early to mid game that would be seen by most experts as wrong. Yes. So that threw the, the human player off. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible study. We'll find an article and put it up because that's just, that's worth a read on its own. Yeah, because it, it, it wasn't in itself. It, Yes, okay, it was brief, but it was the fact that it affected the human. <laughs> that was the thing. So, yeah. anyway, so seven stages, let's quickly rattle through them. So, rule based um, systems. So, um, uh, things like business software, RPA, and things like that, where we can we can create some rule base that we follow. Is that AI? Yeah. Debatable, but it's a rule based approach. Um, so, so, that's stage one. In the example of, yeah, an air, air pilot. Yeah. Uh, or an autopilot, we need to go to this place this is what wind speeds are this is what all of the things are make adjustments based on that to get us to a location yeah oh, or your sat nav whatever it is so, yeah um, the stage two uh, context aware and uh, retention so um once again uh, next level of information where it's a bit more aware of what's going on 
Um, and we're going to refer back to the kind of chat bots and things like this, where it's taking more information and driving a decision process to suggest things based on the context of the information. Um, and once again, that's what most of what we consider AI to be in the internet today is mm. that kind of thing. And that's how we get things sold to us. Um, if you like this, why don't you try that, for example? Um, yeah. So I think that's a, you know, but we're still also stage two. I, you know? I believe that would be uh, things like capture technology as well, yeah. where it's it's aware of what a car might look like. So it offers you a picture of a car. And that's, that's, like, that's also yeah. means... Because you're actually well, training the model. I was going to say, oh, yeah. Sorry, so it's, 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 <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's sort of crowdsourcing machine learning yeah. because it thinks it's this and it has an idea. So it goes, okay, well, 99 of 100 people say that's a street lamp, therefore... Yeah. That's what a street lamp is. We are actually supporting Catcher in their development of their uh, algorithms. <laughs> we are. We are indeed. We don't even realize it. Um, so uh, next one, domain. So stage three, as we talked, domain-specific um, expertise. So we talked about uh, the AlphaGo. Um, it's not a generic it's not general intelligence that's been applied to here. It, it's becoming more general, but it's a it's a gradual approach that they can have one thing that can play um, chess and one thing can play Go, and they can learn rules from you know that, and you can kind of build it up. But still, we're not in a general uh, intelligence mm. approach. <clears throat> I would say. I think we should save stage four to seven because each one of those is uh, an interesting technology and I'm sure we can find examples of projects that are coming up. Uh, but rather than rattle through them, okay. let's stick at where we are because we are at stage three and I think yeah. that's a fascinating place to be. But you're right, it's it's almost, I think we've said it before, we always think the cutting edge is as far as you go, but actually we're right there at the beginning and it's yeah. it's we can do incredibly intelligent machines that do one thing but it can't be like a human that can excel at millions of things you know absolutely so we're stuck at stage three at the moment so we uh, yeah i like this we've we will transcend our world into a singularity at stage seven but let's wait for that we'll get back to it for sure <laughs> uh Fantastic episode. Thank you for joining me, as always, Martin. Um, I do have a quote here. Um, I, I've tried to find something linked with AI, and they were all almost universally negative. Lots of people saying how it's going to be the end of society, and, um, yeah, we've got to put down laws to deal with it. So instead, I tried to find the funniest one I could associate with AI, and this is from Claude Shannon. And they say, I visualize a time when we will be to robots what dogs are to humans, and I'm rooting for the machines. <laughs> Hopeful future? I don't know. Oh, it's nice, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. It'd be, uh, we'll be around to see a bit of it, but um, um, I think it will be the biggest advances over the next uh, 20 years, but let's see. Fingers crossed. All right. Thanks for joining me, Martin. Okay. Thanks, Alex. See you next week. Bye.
If you have any thoughts on the Atlas podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at podcast at weareatlas.com. Follow us on Twitter at ATS underscore Atlas, and you can like our LinkedIn page found in the episode description. If you want to know more about Atlas products, services, and projects, head over to our website, weareatlas.com, to find out more.